to help me out. And there isn't actually, I haven't got a, like a correct answer written down here, but I'm just interested to know. So um, as, how many of you are worship leaders in this? So most, most of you, right? So um, what I want to know, and I, there are different answers and there are different layers to this answer, but what is, what is it that you guys want most from your drama? as worship leaders. And I, I suppose that that is a question that I've um, asked myself over the years and I've asked other worship leaders or other drummers and there's kind of an, an interesting dialogue there. So feel free to shout out some, yeah. Yeah, so when you say what I want the drums to do, what do you mean by that? Yeah. 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 I don't think it's demeaning. I think that we end up using you know, um, what's the word, uh, homophones or, what, what, what is that? Yeah, we make up sounds to try and communicate. We, the, I think a lot of the, um, the issues that I've seen or experienced over the years is that we don't really have a, la a language or a grid, you know, for, for how to communicate. So, um, and actually probably I should have called this how do I communicate with my drummer because we don't just use, it's not just verbal, it's, non-verbal as well, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, sorry, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, well, we'll look at signals. I've got that in there. Yeah, Steve? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. On ramps and off ramps, and rather than handbrake stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little bit on that as well. Uh, anyone else? Hmm. I have. Let, why don't we do that at the end? Yeah, let's get into that at the end. So, um, what? Just get back to the question of what is it that you want specifically? Yeah. Mhm. Mm yeah. 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 That's good. That was kind of, I guess that was probably the question I was expecting out of the gate was, I want timekeeping. I want someone to lock it down. I need a heartbeat, and that heartbeat needs to be regular, you know. 
Um, so yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, dynamics. Great. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, great. Okay, well, we've got some stuff on dynamics, so that's, that's cool. So I think hopefully we're, we're on the right trajectory here. So what I want to do now, we'll do some more questions at, at the back end, but I want you guys to, let's gather around a drum kit, and I want to actually, for those that know the answer, maybe don't shout it out, but I want to just do a little fun exercise of, of getting you guys to identify the pieces of the, the drum kit, because that's actually, it sounds really obvious, but... Um, when it comes to language, if we don't know what the bit is that does the bit that we want the thing to get the sound, we, we, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, that thing there. So let's gather around a drum kit and let's, let's try and put some um, words to pieces of it. Okay. Right, so this is slightly stripped down, this one. <laughs> just deliberately because, uh, come, feel free to come around if I jump up on the stage. So um, I took some things away because we're trying to just have it kind of a bit more, you know, um, stripped strip down the whole thing in the round and, and we're trying to lower the volume a little bit. Um, okay, so let's start with... Uh, this one, give me, give me a name. There might be a couple of names you might know this one as. Kick, bass drum. Okay, great. So, um, so th this is kind of where all your, your low-end information is coming from. So often your bass player is pretty interested in what the right foot or the left foot of your drummer is doing with this, this drum. Um, what's interesting, maybe... To, just to me, about drums is that um, essentially what you're doing is you're moving air through a shell, a, w a piece of wood, and you've got a batter head and you've got a resonant head, okay? So this front one is the, is the one that you're hitting with your foot, uh, with the pedal. There's a pedal down here. And so it probably sounds a little different around this side than it does from what's coming out the front. So that principle kind of... Um, applies to everything. Uh, where it maybe concerns you guys is that, particularly with a snare, um, oh no, I guess gave it away. What's this one called? <laughs> snare. Okay. So what what do we what do we know about these drums? What just throw out some some ideas about a snare drum? It rattles. How does it rattle? And where is that? Underneath. Okay, great. So, I don't know if I can do this with a hand, but... So, can you see... So, you've got your shell. This is a metal drum. Uh, you've got your batter head, which is the, the one that you play. And then you've got this, like, a, a thin head with these metal wires underneath it. And that is kind of where all the, um, the fizz and the rattle is coming from. And often... Um, you'll see like people will mic up the top and the bottom. So in this situation, you've got a resonant head which has got wires on it. Um, but you can also throw them off. So you've got a little switch here called a throw-off where you can 
Um, you can get rid of that rattle. And it, it kind of sounds more like one of these. What's one of these called? A tom, yeah. So you, you kind of, you've got a couple of different options with a snare drum where you've got like a high tune tom or if I throw those snares back on, So you can hear the rattle and the buzz underneath. Now, I've got this thing here that might, that might interest you. So we'll talk a little bit about tone as well. Um, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, but while we're here, let's do it. So this thing is, it, it's called Big Fat Snare Drum, right? And basically what it is is that someone's cut out a drum head and they've stuck a cool logo on. And then you, you lay it on. So this, this thing here, is you probably would think of it as a skin or a drum head. Um, it's basically one of them, and it sits on top, and, and you get that. So you've got from that to that. So I, I feel like, for me, at the moment, I want something that's kind of deep and, and fat and, and a bit more controlled. So someone mentioned tone and sound earlier. Um, and often in a quick setup situation, like on a Sunday morning, you haven't really got, to, you're just kind of throwing things on stage, aren't you, getting things out of boxes. You haven't got, to be, you know, um, haven't got a whole lot of time to think about sound. So this is a really great, you know, it, it's kind of taken away all of that overtone stuff. Um, so what about these little things around here? Do we know what these do? Yeah, okay, so the basic principle is that you've got, um, if, you, if you pull this, this hoop down harder over the drum head, with how you're doing that is by tightening up these tuning lugs, tension rods, um, and what that is doing is pulling the hoop, this thing, tighter over this is getting tighter, and that's pulling the pitch up. So, um, We'll talk about tone a little bit, but if I, where's my tuning key? I'll show you on a tom because it's easier to see, but this is maybe just helpful for you guys to know because obviously you're used to tuning guitars and you know you turn on a keyboard and hopefully it's, it's in tune. Um, but you can tune drums as well. And actually what you do with these things is quite important. So. At the moment, I've got these little sticky things on here that just, they just sort of deaden, they're, they're called moon gel. And they take a little, it's not actually doing a whole lot on this, but take a little bit of that ringy stuff out of the tom. Um, now, if I start cranking this thing up, you should be able to hear. Can you hear that? This one's going up. It's maybe harder to demonstrate with the tom. Let me show you on the, um, the snare a little bit. But this might be helpful just for you to understand that if you have a drummer that sets up a kit and just something about it just sounds really bad to you. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's okay. It might just be like really, that might be something hitting your ear that's kind of, that's, that's actually hurting my ear a little bit. Or... It might just be that their, their snare drum is super cranked. 
So, can you hear that? Like, you can get them really tight and actually, well, you're, what you're doing is just changing the pitch, really. It's, do you know what I mean? And, and actually, sometimes on a Sunday, if, you start, if I start really hitting that now, you, you're probably going to really feel it in your ears. And, that, and the sound guy would as well. And then the whole of the church starts backing away in worship. And then, you know, and, and then we're asking ourselves, do we really want drums in worship? You know, so it's quickly falling apart. So here's a little tip that I've learned over the years, and um, I learned it the hard way. So I was playing in a church um, in the States, and uh, we had in-ears, which, is, which are great, and in-ear monitoring is amazing. But often for drummers, it means that they will play a little bit louder because they've got something shoved in their ears, and they're also often hearing the drums back through their ears, and it just sounds really good, and you're like, man, this is great, I'm just gonna dig in here. And this guy, was a lovely guy, was like, man, I love your playing, but you're killing me. Like, can you do something about that snare drum? And so what I was doing was, so often you would think that a drummer would just play like that, right? Just the, the stick comes down, hits the head, bounces off, and that's the end of that. So what a lot of rock players would do is you would actually hit, you strike a bit of the hoop at the same time. Can you hear that? So it's louder. There's that kind of pain factor thing. But you're getting, it's called a rim shot. So you're getting more like bark and punch from the snare drum. And drummers like that. Sound guys in small churches really don't like that. Um, so I, I had to relearn how to play just the, just the snare head. So I was so used to, you know, um, that's loud, isn't it? So I had to learn... Can you hear that the tone is different and you've not got such a ring? And then I actually kind of went the other way and I started tuning things down and I started putting things like this on because actually, and I'm not, I, honestly, I just want people to encounter Jesus in worship. So that's suddenly much more kind of manageable on everyone's ears. Do you, do you know what I mean? So if you're struggling with loud drummers, the reason why I'm laboring this point a little bit is that if you're struggling with loud drummers in your church setting, you might want to think about, you might want to look at how they're hitting the, the snare. Um, and if they're playing a rim shot, which means that they're catching a bit of that metal at the same time as the stick goes down, that might be half your problem. If you get them to play snare head um, only, actually you'll find that the, the volume and, and the dynamics are much more controlled. And, and I've hung out with a few studio drummers over the years and, um, and done some recording. And in the studio, actually, most of the guys that I know at the top level of studio stuff, they don't play rim shots. They play in the middle there because you, you, you can get better tones out of a snare drum in, in a studio situation. So that's kind of interesting to apply that to a church context. Um, cool, so let's move on from the snare. Uh, oh, the other thing I should say is um, there's a few different ways of playing a snare. So uh, obviously snare off. I mean, that's another thing if you've got really, if you're really trying to, to, to fight the, the volume war with the drummer, you could get them to take their snare off. It's a bit of a compromise, but you know, the, the, it's often 
something kind of around like that snare drum frequency with the wires and snare and cymbals are things that, that hurt us. Toms and, and kick drums don't really. Um, anyway, so, sorry, I can't really do it that way. That's another way playing a snare is a side stick. Does it, anyone see the, the drums doing that? Yeah, cool. So that's kind of just another, another sound. Um, you see how these heads are, I don't know if you can see that, but the, they're coated. So they're actually designed like that with, for, for getting this kind of um, swishy sort of sound from a brush. So this is a metal wire brush. It's kind of a jazz thing, but they're deliberately coated so that you can get that, that kind of thing. So um, just a little bit of snare drum nerdery. Um, all right, what's this thing called? Hi-hat, okay. Um, so hi-hat is played with a stick and also with a foot. Um, what about this? Yeah, actually, it actually says on, the, on it as well. It's a crash symbol. What about this one? <laughs> it's also written on there. Helpful, just in case drummers forget. Um, so what would you, what's the difference? What would you use a crash for? Anyone? Finalizing. Yeah. Finalizing what? Yeah, yeah. So it's often a marker, like we are, yeah, we are maybe coming out of a drum fill and we're going into a chorus, something like that. Um, what about a ride? What would you find that? Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, Phil, come and play something. And I want you to show moving from a ride to a hi-hat and, and maybe how you would do that. Sorry to just throw you in there, pick on you. Uh, do you want sticks or do you want something else? I don't mind. It's probably going to sound really weird because I've been jacking with the tuning. Great. Thanks, man. Cool. So... It's it's like a it's like a different voicing. You're you're using the hi hat. Uh, it's kind of a closed, tight chick sound. You can also open it up and get it more splashy. So um, oh, I should just show what, what I mean by that. So most of the time, a drummer will kind of camp out on a, a closed hi hat sound, but you can just lift your foot off and and get that kind of splashy thing. Uh, again, you've got a different voicing with the, with the ride. Um, we had a guy in St. Albans Vineyard years ago. He's, he's an absolutely amazing drummer, and he's a good friend. Um, he plays in the West End now, but um, he bought this cymbal. He was just learning to play. He bought the cymbal, and it had a massive one of these. This is called the bell. And if you hit this with, with this part of the stick, 
I mean, his one was like, I don't know, it was like a gong or something. <laughs> this thing, and it was like, he, he would just hang out on the, on the bell for like entire songs and we'd all be like, you know, shaking with just, yeah, it was just so resonant and so loud. So um, that's another potential sort of um, pain area just to watch out for. Just trying to think what else have we got on the kit. Okay, I think we might be done. Oh, normally there would be like a high tom here, also called a rack tom, but I, I hid it in the cupboard. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, yeah. I've got a few things to put on the screen, so if you want to grab your seats again, and we'll just get back into, and hopefully I'll be able to answer a couple of things. All right, uh, Dave, do you mind jumping to the first? I think we're, ooh, that didn't really convert very well, did it? Can, I don't think anyone can read that. Never mind. Uh, I could email you some notes at the end. I don't think that's readable, is it? Don't worry, don't worry. Um, okay, so um, I'm sure that you're all aware of time signatures, but let's just run through it quickly. So um, I would say, probably based on experience, the three most common time signatures I would find in worship would be 4-4, four, 6-8, four, uh, stroke 12-8, um, and 3-4. So does, do you guys, are you tracking with time signatures when I'm talking about that? So. 4-4 four, four would be a, you know, a bar, a measure of time in music, four crotchets in the bar, four beats in the bar. 3-4 um, would be three in the bar. So an example of a 3-4 song I've got is Before the Throne of God above, you know, like a, like a hymn like that. 6-8, um, Great Are You Lord, something like that. 4-4, uh, four, four, basically all worship songs. <laughs> Um, but if you're, here's a, here's a funny thing I've seen a few times is that um, I've seen worship leaders do this where let's say you're transitioning from a 6-8 song or it's actually the, often the other way around from a 4-4 song into a 6-8 song and they get stuck and, and they, they are trying to then transition into I love your presence or something in 4-4 and they can't hear the 6 count. Have you, any, have you ever experienced that? Like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of this. Um, so it would be worth, if you're prone to that, it would be worth getting your drummer to um, try and count you in in, in, the, in the time signature of the upcoming song. So one, two, three, two, two. Just like really obviously emphasize the accents and where the where the beats are falling, okay? Um, I've seen that happen a few times and it's, it's kind of fun to watch for a few seconds and then it's like, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. So let's just dive in in 4-4 and see where this goes. Um, so drummers, uh, it depends. They might call it crotchets, they might call it um, quarter notes. So a lot of drum music, drum notation, believe it or not, there is something called drum music and there's books and you can, nerd out and you can, you can discover drum books. Um, 
they talk a lot about, in, in the American system, they talk about quarter notes instead of crotchets, and they talk about eighth notes instead of quavers, and they talk about sixteenth notes instead of semi-quavers. So if you're classically trained and someone's talking to you about sixteenth notes, hopefully you know what they're talking about, but just in case, um, a drummer might have come through on the eight, you know, four, eight, sixteen vibe. Um, what about triplet time? Are you guys happy with groups of three? Um, so, um, uh, anyone not familiar with triplets? What I mean by that? Okay, so, um, so I haven't got my, I can't, I can't put this on the screen, but I can, but you can see it. Oh, it's, great, okay. So, um, gosh, so, okay, uh, we had a situ uh, we had a song the other day, um, so has this ever happened to anyone? We, you're in 6-8, okay, and the, uh, the worship leader is swinging. So, so you've got like, uh, I, would, I was taught like hickory dickory. So for a group of three, like hickory dickory dock, you know, and that's how you kind of, and so uh, a shuffle would be like, Groups of three with, with, with some missing. So, ba 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 And that's how you kind of get that swing feeling, rather than ba 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 dung ba Do you see what I mean? So, there was a situation where, um, yeah, so the, the worship leader and the guitarist are swinging in this 6-8 song, and the drummer and the bass player and the rest of the band are playing straight. And you've got this really weird tension you know, where it's like, this feels really awkward. And someone just needed to say, uh, we're going to swing this one. Because they weren't really listening to each other. Do you know what I mean? So, sway, uh, swung versus straight is just a really uncomfortable feeling. So, just try and work that stuff out with your drummer. If we're in 6-8, are we straight? Are we swung? Just try and make sure that you're happy with that distinction. And if you're not, then I can, we can talk about it. Come, come find me afterwards. Um, right, moving on. So, um, very basic. Uh, sorry, Dave, you got the next. I'll just try and whiz through this because this might be super obvious. Um, but I just wanted to cover it just in case. So, um, a little bit of language here. So, uh, I would find that um, sometimes people would talk to me about full time or half time or double time. Does that ring any bells if you're trying to talk to your drummer? Uh, so full time I would just say would be like, um, just, just a, like a regular rock pattern, like you'd see there. So that's a bit of drum notation there. So the little X's along the top are hi-hats. Um, and the middle, the middle line is the snare and the bottom line is your bass drum. So it's, it's just kind of notation. So the drums just live on various lines of the stave. Um, so regular time would just be like, you know, that kind of, you know, we're hanging out in 4-4, it's pretty basic rock beat. Half time um, would be like you're cutting a snare out on the two. So it would be like boom, 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 boom. You see what I mean? So one, two, uh, so one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Does that make sense? So um, I think drummers, on the whole, would understand uh, 
I need this half time. We're, we're not in full time. Um, that's kind of a useful piece of language. And then there's also double time, where it's like, it doesn't often happen in worship, but it can go there, where it's like, bat, 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 bat. So it's snare on like um, every, every beat. Bat, 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 bat. So does that make sense? Regular? The snare, yeah, that's right. So it's the snare that's moving. Yeah. So on a, just to recap really quickly, on a regular, regular time, the snare would be on two and four. On half time, you'd find it just on four. On double time, you'd find it on one, two, three, four. Yeah. I call it punk rock, fast punk rock. Uh, 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 yeah, we like double time. What, like, is that what you mean? What, uh, sky, yeah. Yeah, I think I would call it double time, but you'd have to sort of be like it's the upbeat is on the and. So upbeat, downbeat. Downbeat would be. Uh, this might be another thing that drummers would understand. The downbeat would just be the kick drum, the bass drum. The upbeat would be your snare, right? And also, uh, we'll get into lingo a little bit as well, but there's another one called backbeat, which is basically just your beat. <laughs> is there, has anyone seen that film, Backbeat? It's really good, you should check it out. About the, about the Beatles. Okay, so um, I think that's enough on notation. So... Uh, BPMs and tempo playing with a click. Okay, so BPM, beats per minute. Hope we're all comfortable with that. So um, a lot of worship music would camp out anywhere from like 60, 65 BPM, like your heart rate kind of thing, um, if you're regular and healthy. Um, anywhere up to maybe, I don't know, 140, 150, if, we, if we're really getting into the fast stuff. But a lot of it, I'd say the bulk of it, and actually probably in the vineyard, the bulk of where we live, is somewhere between 65 and 90 a lot of the time. Um, so it's probably worth just getting your heads around BPMs and where we live, you know, because um, a lot of the time it's really easy to put together a worship set that, is exactly in the same BPM. And, and, that, and actually there's nothing wrong with that. Like you could have four songs and they're all at 70 BPM. And that's, that is fine, but it's, it's worth bearing that in mind. Like you would think about keys, right? You guys and transitions and stuff. I think it's also worth thinking about BPMs. Um, if you've got a creative drummer, then they can find ways of maneuvering, you know, different ideas let's say everything's at 70 BPM, it's a bit of a challenge because they, they can sometimes get a little bit bored and start overplaying because they're like, oh man, we're kind of in 4.4 four and it's 72 again and what do I do? You know, so just be aware of your BPMs and where, and where you're living. Um, I'm, I'm a real advocate of the click. Um, I'm not necessarily saying I think you need it in a small church situation, but... Um, my drum teacher was just like brutal with me. He was like, if you can't keep time, you do not deserve to be playing. Like you shouldn't even be playing in front of people. So he really kicked my butt 
about time, timekeeping. And, uh, and actually, the metronome is kind of begins as your enemy and ends up being your best friend. So all the drummers that I talk, I'm not saying you need to have click in worship. It's really personal preference, but if given the choice, I would kind of generally have it, even if it's just for me and the, and the rest of you couldn't hear it. Um, probably not in this scenario, but if it was a bigger, bigger situation. Um, I've got a little app on my phone called Tempo, and I think it's like pound fifty, and you can program this thing. Uh, you can, like, put songs in, you know, and you can save sets, and it's amazing. So drummers that have got a smartphone, or drummers that have a real problem with, with timing and refuse to do anything about it, just tell them to get an app. There's, like, free metronome apps. Um, so in the old days, I had to save up and buy a metronome for, like, 90 quid, a boss thing, Dr. Beat, and it had eight settings. I could save eight songs in it, um, and I had a little voice that would speak to you, or you could have a click sound, or a one, two, three, four. Um, but yeah, so I, I, would in, I would, even if you're not using click, um, it's probably worth rehearsing with click, just for discipline, timekeeping is... Tempo is critical, guys. Tempo is critical, and um, I, I'm, I love music to breathe, but music needs to also be at the right. You need to start songs at the right tempo. Um, you know, it, it, I made a note this morning. How long have we got, by the way? We've got. Oh, we're good. We're good. So. Um, Let's just do a little diversion here. So what do you guys do if you've started a song too slow and your drummer comes in and you're stuck? You're stuck too slow and maybe you're embarking on a big epic song that's like six minutes long. or And now because you started it really slow, it's going to be actually nine minutes long. And everyone's dying. What, what do you guys do? Like, how do you get out of that situation? Just, just talk to me about. Anyone got an experience with that? Okay, so you've kind of got a signal worked out. Have, have you ever, um, would you feed that back to your drummer? Like, Yeah. Great. Okay. So you've got yeah, a bit of a wiggle. So you've got some signals dialed in. That's really really important. Um, there's nothing worse than things dragging, right? So what I mean by dragging is like it's too slow. We're way behind the beat, and it just feels like it's we're gonna fall over in a minute, and. Um, I think it would be probably preferable to be slightly ahead of the beat in worship. If you've got a problem with tempo, timing, um, I, would, I would rather be slightly ahead than dragging, you know? Um, 
I think if you start a song too quick, you can always, you can always lay back. Um, if you start too slow, it's really hard. So even having a click at the beginning of songs and someone to just, you know, you don't even have to get them to do the, the clicking, counting the um, count, sorry, stick count off thing, you know, one, two, three. You could just like, one, two. I've done that before with people. It's just like, you're showing them something visual and you're just, and they're looking at you and lip syncing and, because there's nothing worse than being stuck there, is there? And then, how do we get out of this? Um, and then everyone in the room is just like, come on, man, speed up. And, but the drummers, so if you're a drummer that is, um, I've had this before, it's like, you started the song too slow. If I rescue you now by speeding everything up, then it looks like I'm speeding up. So there's that internal battle going on, like, the drummers are really speeding up. No, the worship leads started really slow. So um, I would try and, I would just try and think about tempo and how you communicate with your drummer. And whether it's that, um, you might just need to sit down and say, look, we are, we are in the habit of starting things too fast or too slow. I want you to, let's sit down and work out the BPM for this song. Whether, whether you play to a click or whether you just count me in, um, we need, to, we need to fix this because this song never sits. You know, we're not, there's, we're not in, the, in the right pocket, the right groove. I'll come on to that a little bit. Anyway, is this making sense? Yeah? Good. Okay, great. Um, what about, does any of you guys play to backing tracks, multi-tracks? Anyone have an experience with that stuff? Okay, so for drummers, um, again, I think... Obviously, um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, a lot of worship songs now you can buy backing tracks for, and it could be like, um, just like let's say, a Hillsong song or something, and you'd get the, the, the drum part, the bass, maybe a synth bass, the electric guitars, the BV, backing vocals, the, the piano, the acoustic guitar, the whole thing, the whole track comes to you. And often the drummer will be playing it off a laptop and they'd have a metronome and they often come with a vocal cue as well. So you've got someone, a little electronic voice on the track saying, one, two, three, bridge. You know, so counting in the next section. Um, <laughs> um, so I've had good and bad experiences with, with tracks, but what I would say is this, is that as soon as you add in multi-tracks, to a worship band situation, all of your band need to suddenly start playing a little bit less because they're, even if it's just like a loop or something, um, it fills up a lot of space. So just be conscious of that with your drummer. If you're, if you're like, okay, we're gonna do Lion the Lamb or something like that and I really wanna use the track um, and you've just suddenly introduced this new thing to your band, to your drummer, you probably need to have a little conversation where it's like, maybe just think about, I need, I need you to hold down the groove, but don't give me loads of extra stuff. Just kind of, just keep, keep time, let the track do what the track is doing, which is kind of filling some of the other space. So whether, I know that would be people in here that don't like tracks, people that love it and live by it. So I would just say, um, 
leave space. And then the other thing that I've, I've found, we, this is something that we did at NLC this year. Um, so I don't know if you guys were at our national conference. If you were, raise your hand. So did you see the guy at the back? It was a guy, a guitarist guy called Trey Shepard. Um, he had a talkback mic where uh, he was communicating with the band. So the worship leaders, you know, Dave and Bernie and Sam, those guys, it was really interesting to see how it works because I've seen, I've seen a musical director, which is what Trey was doing. I've seen them take over, but then I've seen, I've seen it, which is a negative thing. You don't really want that. You don't want someone in the band who's kind of like driving the ship and the worship leader's like, I don't even, he's telling me to do all this stuff and what am I doing, you know? Um, Trey was really interesting because obviously when, you, when you've got a scratch band like that together for a week to play, not used to playing together, really good musicians, but you're still not really dialed in. Um, Trey would be just kind of coaching the band a little bit in our ears. So let's just hang out here for a bit. He'd say stuff like that. I think, I think he's going to probably hit the chorus again, but let's just wait and give me a little bit of tempo. Give me some, some hi-hat or something. Give me some pulse. Um, so it's almost like he's doing some heavy lifting for the worship leader by saying, don't leave him hanging. Um, don't just drop out, but uh, let's just see what's going to happen next. And then when we got to big bits, he was like, let's go around that again. Um, start building. It was really good. It actually really worked because I think he himself is a worship leader and he kind of understands um, the, the dynamics of what's happening in the band. So he's, he's musically adept, but he's also sensitive to the, the way that the set was unfolding and also what was happening in the room. Um, and interestingly enough, he would use language for me or the, the other guy playing drums that was different than... He'd be calling out numbers to the, music, the other musicians. So instead of like chords, a lot of people were using the Nashville number system now, if you're familiar with that. So I won't get into that. But, and he would be saying different things to the vocalist. So he kind of had a little toolkit of language for like the rhythm section or the, the guitarists and the keyboard players. And it was pretty interesting. And... Um, and it actually worked really well because he was because he was a sensitive person and he wasn't trying to control and steer the thing. So, um, right, let's just talk about dynamics a little bit because we've we have um, some some of you have mentioned that stuff. Um, sorry, I just need to know what time do we finish? Is it three forty-five? Okay, sorry, let's, let's just skip ahead for a minute to worship leader signals. So Steve touched on it already. Um, what's really obvious and sometimes overlooked is just a line of sight. I've had this where um, the drum, drums have been off to the left and the worship leader's right over there and I've got, I've got a guitarist and a bass player and a backing singer all in my way and I can't, really lean around them and see what they're doing. And um, eye contact is massive with a worship leader and a drummer. That relationship, that non-verbal, because obviously you can't shout direction down the mic when you're in the, in the throne room, you know. So um, try and think about stage layout a little bit. If you've got quite a big band 
and make sure that you can see your drummer and make sure that your drummer looks up and looks at you. So some of you guys might remember, um, we had a drummer in the vineyard in the early days called Callum Reese. He's an amazing drummer. He played on a lot of the early vineyard albums and um, he was really encouraging to me as a drummer when I was much younger and he, he actually, so he invited us to do, um, we were doing these conferences and he would say, just come out with me and set up a second drum kit and we'll play together. And I was like, really? You know, like two, two drum kits? It was, it was pretty wild actually. And um, um, so we'd kind of be set up at the back, but he would be off to one side slightly and I would be off to one side. And we had to lay things out that if we were going to play together, we had to be able to see each other. And we also had to be able to see the worship leaders. And it sounds really obvious, but... And he was... When we first started doing it, because I, I was very sort of... I would feel my way with, with listening, but he was really visual. And he was constantly like, Jimmy, Jimmy. I could hear him calling me, like shouting out, Jimmy, look at me, look up, look up, look at me. Um, and he was so visual and so... Like he would feed off what was happening in the band and also... But I really learned a lesson, man. He was like, don't just look down. Just look up, see what's happening. And, and we would lock in a lot better when we were looking at each other as well. It was really weird. It sounds really obvious. So um, I see a lot of people, you know, just head down, um, stuck in what you're doing, stuck in the music stand, stuck in the chord sheet, in the iPad, whatever you're using. And there's just no... You know, I don't, I don't know if you managed to observe, but you know, Mark, when he led the other night, last night, he's like everywhere. He's moving around and he's, you know, he's like, he's over here at one point and then he's, he's around here. Do you know what I mean? He's like, he's moving around because he's physically set up in this position. But I saw him move around a lot and communicate with Johnny on the drums. Um, so make sure that you're available visually and make sure that your drummer is too and I would say that applies for all of your musicians and and my from my end as a drummer looking at a worship leader I would often look at their feet as well because there's if we're not on a click and you guys often would be keeping some sort of internal pulse going with some part of your body whether you're conscious or not so that's helpful to drummers as well so line of sight is massive um Here's a little trick that I learned, and this is a weird thing, right? So, and I probably learned it with years of playing with Mark. Um, you've probably been caught out a few times by your drummer just abruptly stopping. Anyone ever had that? Like, dude, <laughs> don't do that. Where did you, why did you leave me hanging? We were, we were ramping and you stopped playing, you know? Uh, and I've done that a few times. I've done that to a few people. I've misread a signal. And I thought, you know, some people have like guitar neck comes down, we're, we're going down, yeah. Or, you know, that's maybe a little bit more patronizing, but it still works. Um, uh, you know, some people have leg things that they do. It doesn't really matter what you do. You just need to know, like, I will ask someone like, particularly a worship leader like Bernie, who's going to lead tonight, who doesn't lead with an instrument, I will have a little conversation with her at the beginning. I'll say, Bernie, what, what are your signals? You know, And she'll be like, oh, yeah, I've got this weird you know, crab 
crab hands thing I do. Something, I don't know, you know. So you just need to figure it out. And then, um, so having landed a few worship leaders in, in it a few times by a, abruptly pulling out of, of a moment by misreading something, I adopted instead a little thing that seems to have served me quite well over the years, which is simply this, right? So I would say to Mark, you can run around and scream and shout and look at me and I don't know, whatever you're going to do, I don't mind. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to stop until you do that. Otherwise, we could, you know, we could, like, we, we could be going up and then I'm, I don't know. Am I making sense? Have you ever had that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, true, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, interesting watching Harmony this morning, you know, she's already set up in a way that she's not completely forward-facing. You do that as well. Yeah, I mean, some of it you would naturally intuit, you know, I would try and sense that you're, you're taking things up dynamically and I'd try and follow. Um, and just from what you're singing and playing, I'd try and read that. Yeah. I think, I, I think it, you know, I would just look at hands and feet and if there's like an increase in energy and physical symptoms, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes we, I would get it wrong, for sure. But I think, um, can you pull a hand off sometimes and do the... Yeah. 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 It's definitely harder for you guys, though. I, I agree. Yeah. Sorry, Sarah, go. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. But just back on that kind of drummers abruptly, if, if you do have that drummers abruptly pulling out and leaving you hanging thing happen, I would just suggest, you know, just try that like, okay, you just keep going until I make it obvious that I want you to stop. Don't, don't just suddenly pull out. Don't do that kind of, yeah, that abrupt thing. And, and, and sometimes it's, you know, Sometimes you, you just get it wrong. It, it just does happen, but... Um, rehearse, that's a good idea. Yeah. Rehearse is good. Yeah, rehearsals. Um, I think it's important to have the conversation Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, let's just talk about dynamics a little bit. Um, so, you know, um, drums are drums are powerful. They are loud. Uh, they change the atmosphere pretty quickly, right? So, um, I don't know if you noticed this morning, like the way that Johnny uses cymbals. And Tom's is interesting. So he was he was building certain moments with like cymbal swells and mallets, um, and then he was doing. You know, there was like a really cool clapping rhythmic thing that happened this morning, and he was kind of hanging out on the floor, Tom, and the and the kick. You know, and it's more primal. It's more tribal. It's more. There's something about that, isn't there? When you hear those low tuned, those low pitched drums. There's power, and there's like, man, it's just, I want to move. You know, I want to I wanna participate, and we all start clapping, and it's just kind of this instinct, instinctive response to what's happening with the drums. Um, symbols often bring kind of like the pinnacle moment, you know, like we need another gear, so I'm going to start washing my crash cymbal, like playing it like a hi-hat. You know, letting it ring, letting it wash. Or I'm going to get on the ride, because that feels often like a, a dynamic... Um, you know, when Phil did that little groove earlier, it felt like a little dynamic step up from that. Because obviously you've gone from a closed sound to a, an open, resonant, ringing thing. Um, so think about... When you're communicating with your drummer in, in relation to dynamics, it's worth thinking about, like, what, what, are you, what are you looking for? So if you're looking for power and kind of big emphasis, and you probably want, you're talking probably about toms and kick and snare, you know, maybe, maybe like, I don't want a cymbal thing. I want like a, a big drum building moment here. Um, if you're looking for kind of like, I want you in, but I don't really want a pulse, it could be like mallets and cymbals. Like, he was bringing, you know, where, what was it? All Things Rise. 
Often you can use a cymbal swell, by which I mean, you know, with the mallets, like to like to en intro into a into um, a chorus. So you know, so it kind of it creeps up, and then you hit beat one, and it it releases into the chorus. And it's you hear it on pop all the time. It's like a cymbal swells and you know that kind of that thing. So um, it's useful to think about the sounds that you guys like and we, we sort of touched on um, irritating sounds as well. But what are the sounds that you don't like? What are the things that your drummer... Just try and identify irritating things that, that they might be doing. You know, like, like the bell. You know, don't do the bell thing. I don't like the bell or I love the bell. Um, Building tools, so um, drummers building songs is, is huge, So, and how you communicate that. So I don't think I can give you a toolbox for like, you know, I think, boom, you know, that's fine. Like, sometimes if you want to talk to them about a kick pattern and a snare pattern, bass, snare, bass, bass, snare, that also works, you know, just to use the words. I've heard people say bass, snare, a bass, bass, snare, to, to try and speak a drum pattern out. Um, and you're just going from like a, a bass note, a low note, to a snare note, a high, boom, ba, ba, boom, boom. You, you just, if you just need to use those two things that are creating the backbeat, I think that will translate. And however you do that, whether it's like beatboxing or whatever, I think it, I think it works. Um, you could also... Get your drummer to listen to the original record. You know, like I really want the pattern that I hear on the on the album. You know, because I really and actually um, I would argue that sometimes we we work really hard on deconstructing the original, and sometimes you know grooves and patterns have been established. It's probably worth looking at the original. What was the drummer doing on the original pattern on the record? Might be worth listening to that and replicating bits of that that you like. So um, if there's, you know, it's like in All Things Rise on the record, it's a Tom thing. And Johnny did that. And it kind of seems to work, you know. So it's, it's worth your drummer being aware of the, um, the original, original drum parts. And they would be able to listen to that and identify, whereas you just might be like, yeah, I like, I like the way that the drums sound and feel, but I, don't, I can't really pick out what they're doing but but you can so um, subdivision is so back to notation so this is something I would use a lot in terms of building a song so you know how we talked about 4 8 and 16 let's say we're in 4 4 okay um, and you I, I don't know how to explain this while holding a mic but let's say you've got a song that's in 4 4 and, um, hang on one sec, see if I can. So, I, have to, I just have to play something to try and demonstrate. But very simply, the, 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 the concept of subdivision would be, um, so this is, this is a 4-4 rock beat with just a quarter note hi-hat, so. Okay, so it doesn't get... A lot more simple than that, okay? So, uh, one, two, 
three, four. We stay in the same tempo and we add in eighth notes on the hi-hat. Really simple. And we, we stay in the same tempo and we add in sixteenths. So that, that has um, served me really well in terms of, I'm not saying every song needs to start, you know, with a quarter note hi-hat, but just from moving, if you stay in the same tempo and just moving from eighths to sixteenths will feel like a dynamic shift, okay? Um, you, can also, you can also play uh, your hi-hat with your foot. Sorry, Phil, I might need you again. My beautiful assistant. So, um, which kind of frees up your hands. So, um, that's obviously playing on the offbeat and that's kind of giving you a little bit of a different thing. And then I've got hands free to do other things. Or I could just, it's quite nice kind of keeping it Strip back, you know, and then you can you can do the same subdivision thing with your foot. So you could go to eights. Uh, I'm not going to attempt sixteenths right now, but there there are thanks, dude. So I th I think the point is is that you by trying to employ that subdivision idea, you're making your drummer play more or less notes without altering the backbeat, which is just the boom, bam, you know, the one, the two and the four kind of vibe. Does that make sense? So you're just taking away and you're adding, um, and then voicing as well. So let's say I'm hanging out on eighth notes on the hi-hat, but it's closed. And then actually I begin to open up the hi-hat and you get that splashy thing that we heard earlier. And that will probably add just a lift and energy. Um, and again, if you move to the ride, you know, it's, gonna, it's, it's a, voice, a different voicing. It brings probably an, another lift, another gear. And I think as a worship drummer, because of a lot of the music you're playing is very simple and you're in a simple time signature and probably... Moving, you know how we talked about the different tempo ranges. You need to think of creative ways to to get um, the song breathing dynamically. Um, another thing uh, that I would use a lot would be um, uh, so something called grace notes or ghost notes. Um, Phil, are you there? I need a permanent fill. So, um, I, haven't, I haven't really thought about how I'm going to demonstrate this, but... Okay, so you know how we talked about just playing on the snare head earlier, and you've, you've got that, that kind of... So, man, these sticks are like cavemen clubs or something. Um... So, uh, a ghost note would be like a, it's like a, a little passing note that's quieter dynamically than the backbeat. So, it's the little kind of buzzy. 
Do you, do you know what I mean? It's, I'm playing it quite loudly, but it's the little thing that comes after. Or... So if, if your drummer is... Um, thanks, dude. I think we're probably done. Um, able to just work around the backbeat a little bit with grace notes, ghost notes, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think they're both, they're called, they use both terms, ghost noting, ghosting. It's just a, it's just a way of adding, it, you're adding something. You know how we talked about adding and taking away. You're adding something just to make the, a very simple, maybe a little bit boring groove that's very repetitive, just a bit more interesting, a bit more creative. Um, and your drummer needs to learn a light touch to be able to do grace notes well, ghost notes well. Um, and I see, I just, yeah, I see a lot of young guys who just want to hit hard, and I was the same. I just want to hit hard, and I just want to, you know, I want this song to rock. <laughs> um, and then you end up just learning a bit of finesse and learning to play for the song, sorry. Um, so, fills, you know, fills, we've talked a little bit about that, but. Um, if you're having problem with your drummer playing too many fills, you, you somehow need to... Do, does anyone experience that? Overplaying? Um, often when a drummer hits a fill, is the time in the song where the timekeeping also might come undone a little bit. So the takeoff and landing point of a fill is important that, that, you know, that they're not adding so many notes and that they can't hit the one or... Do you see what I mean? So I would say uh, less is more. They're there to primarily hold the thing down. They're your, they're your heartbeat, your pulse. Fills um, are important and they can be creative with fills, drummers, but um, you know what I want to hear actually is I don't want someone just filling all over the place. It's like guitarists and, and riffs and solos and stuff. You, you want... You know, like the really experienced drummers that I love, it's like they've got all this crazy stuff going on under the hood. And every now and then they just let something out and you're like, wow, okay. But for the most part, they're just holding down the song. They're gluing the band together. And every now and then you see something come out that's really impressive. But the tempo and the feel of the song doesn't alter because they, they know how to transition from a fill back into a groove. Do you see what I mean? So, um, yeah, fills, adding and taking away. So dynamics, obviously, subdivision, voicing. Um, what else do we need to talk Different, different uh, stick types as well. So mallets, you've heard what they will do on cymbals. Johnny's been actually playing drums with these, and they sound really good because... Um, because volume in here is a bit of a problem. So if you just play with the, the big fat sticks, the wooden sticks, you know, it's, it is loud. So he's been playing with hot rods, he's been playing with mallets, um, he's been playing with brushes. Just because in this space, we want people to engage. I want to hear people singing in this room, but I want the drums as well. So um, different different things to hit the drums with and the cymbals with are going to give you diff very different sounds. So um, very briefly, I would say that probably the, the main ones would be 
yeah, brushes, hot rods, mallets, and just regular sticks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They do change the tone, yeah. I mean, you know the thing I said earlier about just make sure they're playing the snare head if, if the rim shot's a problem. Um, I would say, you know, something like damping the drums, you know, that, that big fat snare drum thing will often control some of the ring and the boom. Um, you know, you can kind of get them if... Some drummers don't want you putting tape on their drums. And, but I think if you're trying to establish, like, what our, what our end game here is encounter with Jesus and worshipping, we really want rhythm. We really need power and dynamics, but we need to reach some kind of compromise and figure this thing out. And I think for some of drummers, it's just realising that I don't, I'm not here to sort of impress people. I'm here just to kind of glue the thing together. Um, I, yeah, you know how I talked about like the painful stuff being snare and cymbals? It's often trying to figure out, like I, I've, I've played before with just a ride and, or just a hi-hat, a snare and a kick, and man, you can get a long way with that. And then um, I've had T-shirts over snares and toms before. There were loads of, and actually that works really well. A T-shirt on a, on a snare drum, it takes away a lot of the high material. It kind of sounds deep and quite nice. And, you know, um, I've got this little thing. We're in a church plant at the moment, so um, 20 people. We've got, I've got a little thing called a monk drum, which is... It's, it's not even a cajon. It's like a, you play the top of it and the low stuff comes out of the front and there's a little high corner. And it's literally like, you know how we were talking about bass and snare? That's what it is. And it's just hands. And it actually sounds great. And we just mic it up, the bass thing. Um, so I, I think take things away. Try and make things almost as simple as possible. Um, for years, I went for drum lessons, and my teacher uh, was amazing, and he lived in a little apartment in St. Albans, and he, had, um, he literally had a cardboard box filled with newspaper and a little bass drum pedal against it that just kind of sounded pretty cool. Um, a snare drum with a rubber pad on it um, that just was like, you know, you, could, you can really hear it. And a hi-hat with a T-shirt over the top of it and a mirror. And we, we did lessons like that for years. Nothing else. And I, man, I learned so much from him that way. And there's so much you can do with those three elements. And it was like in, in a flat with people underneath and up, up above. And we didn't really make any noise, really. Probably no more than like a washing machine spinning. So um, I think it's just trying to... Is that helpful? I don't know. I think I would, I would recommend taking things away um, the more options that you've got as a drummer, the more likely you're, you're going to hit them. You know, if you're looking at, a, well, you know, honestly, like, wow, I'm using this guy's kit and he's got like three floor toms and I'm just trying to get them into all the songs, you know, why not? So I would, I would recommend taking things away and trying to, trying to be creative around snare and cymbals particularly. 
is there a way of getting the same result without that sort of high volume information? Um, what else do we need to do? Questions, we're nearly done here and I've run out of time. Um, just a little bit of lingo, just to unravel. Um, accents, do we, you're happy with accents on, on, on patterns and notes? Um, very quickly, so. Just be aware that an accent is just emphasizing one note and that's a dynamic thing. That is a good little tool. Um, synch syncopation, do you guys happy with that? It's like syncopation in music is very basically, it's just like an interrupted pattern. Um, you know how we've been focusing on very simple, basic, straight rock beats and things. Um, syncopation would be like, bam, 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 bam. Uh, what's a good example? Clocks from Coldplay. Bam, 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 It's moving across the 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 beat. Do you see what I mean? Da, 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 da. But it's a pattern. Um, so syncopation is kind of cool. You know, it's it brings a bit of creativity and a bit of life to grooves and patterns that your drummer might be really bored of playing. Um, stops and rests and things like that. So do you have moments where you're like, I want this big like push moment and I just want a big like ringing cymbal and everyone just to hang out. So sometimes that would be called a diamond. Let's, let's put a diamond in there. It's in the States, I had that a lot. Um, I lived there for six months and they would talk to me about diamonds and I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I, I guess we're talking about like a rest or something. Um, stops. Um, so often, if you want a hard stop, you can get a drummer to choke a cymbal. So uh, choke a cymbal would be like catch a cymbal. I think I just woke up a couple of people in the back there, sorry. Uh, what else have we got? Um, ah, like marching beats and things like that. Do you ever have that where you're trying to, you're like, I want, I want like the train thing, do the train thing. Have you ever asked a drummer to do that? And it's like, um, what you're probably talking about is like a 16th note rolling pattern on the snare, you know, and maybe you know how we just talked about accents and stuff as well? So. That, that kind of thing, where it's maybe upbeat stuff as well, and you want it to move, and it's, yeah. So if you talk to me about a train, I guess I'd probably do something like that. And then you might be like, no, not that. Um, four to the floor. Everyone happy with four to the floor? So, um, gosh, where's my fill? We do. 
I need like a I need a Britney mic. So you know how we were talking about like basic rock beat. Okay, force the floor is just adding a kick drum on every every note. So you'd like hear that a lot at Soul Survivor, for example. You know, like if we want energy and speed, and it's like you've that's the dynamic shift there. Do you know what I mean? It's like adding, you've just added something and you've taken up, you've, you've moved it up a, a click. Okay, four to the floor. Drummers should understand that. Um, open hats, closed hats, I think we've talked about. And then crash and ride, yeah. I think I'm done. And I think we might have to vacate in a minute. What, what time does this finish? Does anyone know? Quarter two. Five minutes of quick questions. Any quick questions? Oh, you've got the notes, yeah. Oh, you've got my ridiculous notes behind you. Yeah. Bo Diddley is like, uh, uh, like a blues thing. Like, bam, 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 bam. Is that, you know what I mean? Like a, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's just, I guess it's just a genre thing, but it would be, like a, a um, it, yeah, it, it might be it, probably rare that you would ask for someone to do that, but you never know. Yeah. No, I think I think what you're saying is that you you want to keep some movement. So maybe, you know, the hands keep going but they just move to the toms and maybe it's more of a accented thing. You know how we talked about like a doom 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 doom. If you were to sort of voice that pattern on the toms it would it would feel like so you could go from something quite straight to like but that would be accents and that would be voicing so the accents would bring you know so it's like maybe one four seven i don't know which out of a bar i can't remember but you're you're bringing movement just by accenting certain things and you put that onto the toms and it kind of has that rolling effect where we can hang out it's not just like you know, we're building, we're building. It's like more like a... We could camp out here for a while. Yeah? It's like groove rather than... Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Um, anything else? <laughs> Ronnie's just walked in. He's like, what the heck's going on here? Uh, tambourines. I actually am a real fan of tambourines, okay? I'm going to defend the tambourine for 30 seconds. I use well, Tom, you're with me, right? Use a decent tambourine with good jingles, use tastefully, play musically. I mean, man, it's all over the radio. Like, whether you realize it or not, you're listening to tambourines all the time. Um, in worship. I mean, like, 
Are you talking like bring your own, turn up with one in your bag? and No. I, I like them. So, you know, when we were talking about... Yeah, I have. I, ha I did have one like that. Yeah. Um, and that, that was quite fun, actually. Uh, I also had one down by my left foot for a while. So, you know how you can play the hi-hat with your foot? I would sometimes play a, a tambourine with a foot. And it just adds a bit of movement and energy and... Um, I like them, but I understand they have been abused. So um, there's a legit argument there for no tambourines. But don't get a... If you're going to get one... I remember ringing Tom up, actually, and I said, I want a nice tambourine. I don't want to get, like, a 9.99 stag plastic. And if you buy one, it will sound like a crappy, you know, 9.99. So spend, spend, like, 35, 40 quid on a on a decent one with like brass or nickel jingles or something and, and you'd be surprised, they actually sound good. So, um, anything else? Yeah, Rich. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing that you could try, and I don't know, so obviously a click in itself is like, you know, like a, a kind of annoying sound. So um, you could try a loop where it's just like a, a shaker loop or a hi-hat loop or, uh, chick, 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 you know, and it's maybe got some obvious accent somewhere so that, you're aware of, um, but it's fairly unintrusive. Um, I remember, uh, like, for, for recording, I've, I remember a guy had just a nice kick drum sound in the studio that was, because the, the, the guitarist, when we were doing this album, he didn't want to hear that annoying click sound, so he just kind of gave him a, a kick drum, boom, boom. And it was much easier for him to play well to that. So it could just be like, something else, and maybe no one else hears it apart from you and him or something. Yeah. Wouldn't even come out front, but, you know, a, a, loop, a little loop might help. And even with, like, it could even, you could even put a little kick and snare thing underneath it. I, I think, yeah, I mean, at some point they just have to, like, wrestle the metronome thing to the floor and see who wins. But I would always say, you've got to push through. Got, you've got to do it. All right, one more, and then we're done, I think. Maybe we're done. And and they still, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard, man, because because 
you probably need to hear the click as well, um, just to make sure that they're they're actually on it. So, yeah. Um, guys, I hope it's been helpful. I feel like it's been a bit random and a bit coffee-fueled, insane ramblings, but um, I hope it's been helpful. So, any anything else? Just come and grab me. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming. All right.